Well, hey friends, um, I just got cut off. I have no idea what happened. I, I mean, it was as if uh, some secret spy network took over my phone and literally just shut off the Facebook app uh, so that I instantly lost all of you. I have no idea how that happened or where that happened, so forgive me. The first video, uh, we just started getting into it and then uh, that happened. So. Uh, so we'll we'll try and pick up again. I'll try and start just a little bit without all the advertising at the beginning about stuff coming up here. Uh, last week we began discussing, because of the phrase Paul uses about partnering with God in ministry and working together with God in ministry, um, that we, we, we discussed a little bit of what that looks like. And this week we're going to continue uh, that discussion and then move on to the dangers of what it looks like to work together with the, the wrong people. So for... Uh, for refreshment's sake, for context's sake, let's begin at verse 11. Paul writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. In the final analysis, what Paul is saying here, and I think he's sort of modeling something for all ministers that follow in his footsteps. When he says he opens wide his mouth, the literal translation is we have spoken freely to you without, we haven't restricted ourselves, we've been open with you, and open wide our hearts, the idea I think he is conveying is that he has been vulnerable with them, both in speech and even internally with his own heart. He hasn't hidden his struggles. And I talked about how we see evidence of that in Romans 7 and other portions of Paul's writings where he's brutally honest and would have a lot to lose being a guy that's trying to prove that he is a genuine apostle, you know. Um, and, and, and I was just making the point before Facebook rudely cut me off uh, with you earlier that I am firmly convinced that if a minister does not uh, share his own struggles, not not in detail, not to make everybody feel awkward and gross. I mean, but if they don't share that they're an imperfect human being too, I can virtually guarantee that he will gather a collection of sheep that learn to pretend very well that they've got all things together. They will have a church gathered around them that does not feel safe confessing their struggles and their sin. And if you have a church that does not feel safe confessing their struggles or their sin, then you have a church that will not appreciate or love forgiveness. It just will be taken for granted. I'm absolutely convinced of this. If you want a church that is excited about the forgiveness of sins and still gets moved about the forgiveness of sins one for us on account of Christ then you create a church where you confess and they confess and regularly it's acknowledged that man were a gathering of screw-ups that somehow by the grace of God are loved on account of Christ so I, I I think Paul is alluding to that. That's uh, my interpretation of what he means here. And so he says, I've been vulnerable with you. And there's an appeal. There's an implicit appeal at the end here. Like, be vulnerable with me now, Corinthians. Like, open yourselves up to me. Work together with me. 
Now remember, Paul is counteracting a group of people that are trying to get the Corinthians to work together with them. There are these super apostles that are trying to undermine Paul and take the people away and, uh, and make them convinced that Paul is not really the real deal, that they are the real deal. So in that context, Paul writes these next words about working together with the wrong people. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial was a, an idol uh, here representing Satan. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, chapter 7, verse 1, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. All right, end of reading. Let's discuss this and what this phrase, unequally yoked, really means. I bet I know what you've been told it means. I bet I do. We'll talk about it. Uh, the picture here, first of all, the phrase, unequally yoked, here is of a donkey and an ox being brought together for plowing purposes. And because there is such a difference in size, it will inherently make uneven, curved paths. And the idea, then, is that as you're getting people who are going in different directions to work together, uh, it just ends up creating tension as Paul contrasts here, righteousness and lawlessness, light and darkness, Christ and the devil, the temple of God and idols. There's all these, they're, they're pulling against each other. They're working in opposite directions. It's not going to work out very well. Now, of course, this verse, verse 14, especially the first one, do not be unequally yoked, has been applied to those you can marriage, or the, the, those you can marriage, those you can marry. Uh, that's been typically, my guess is, that's the only way that you've really heard this talked about. You cannot be unequally yoked. Do not marry a non-Christian. Uh, I think there are many other passages or many other themes in Scripture that might be a better place to go to if you want to make a more solid case for that point of view. I think this in particular is talking about a broader principle. I don't think this in particular is actually talking about marriage at all. Now it can be applied to marriage and it can be applied to those that you would marry. It can be applied fairly. Let me make that clear. But the whole context here is about partnering with people in, well, in spiritual things that shouldn't be partnered with in spiritual things, primarily churchy things. 
We're told in verses 16 through 18 to, quote, be separate from the people of the world. Now, does that mean that we can't have secular co-workers in order to be faithful to God? Hey, I can't work with them. You know, I, there's no way that I could do computer programming next to Joe over there because Joe is doing satanic computer programming. Now, uh, that's not what this is talking about. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 spells that out. Paul says in verse 9 there, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. He's talking about people that are doing all sorts of really uh, deviant stuff back in the Roman Empire there. What does he then say? Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is, not, or is, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. You hear Paul's point here. Paul is making a distinction, and I think this, pass, this passage in 2 Corinthians uh, 6 is, well, leaning more towards that. Paul is not saying that we can't partner with people outside of the church for all sorts of things. We can work together with people for the common good in our culture. There's lots of examples that I could give, but, you know, if, uh, if you were to go, let's say, to the pro-life uh, march in Washington, D.C., if that's something that uh, you may have been uh, at, you will notice that there are people there from every sort of persuasion on earth. There are atheists and Mormons and every other religion there to represent a specific position uh, in favor of uh, a baby's uh, right to live. Now, would the Christians that are there be guilty of syncretism or idolatry or breaking Paul's command here for working to end that practice? Not at all. We would not say that there would be any violation there at all. It's not partnering with, uh, not being unequally yoked. So, let me wrap this up then. Short little devotion today because it's just a short little passage. It's only six verses and next week we'll get into chapter 7. If you look at verse 14 again, Paul's prohibition to be unequally yoked has to do first and foremost, look at, look at the word, fellowship. What fellowship has light with darkness? What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I believe Paul's primary concern is that they would not unite themselves to someone or to a group of people that are teaching a different doctrine about who Jesus Christ is. I believe that primarily here, with the context of the broader letter of 2 Corinthians in mind, that the prohibition here is for us as Christians to sign on with a group that will teach something other than the pure gospel that we are instructed to maintain in places like Galatians and in the rest of this letter. And certainly that fits with uh, what the super apostles were doing. They were trying to undermine Paul's proclamation that it was by grace through faith on account of Christ alone that anyone was going to be justified in the sight of God. And 
they were doing this by saying you had to be circumcised, you had to follow the law, you had to be obedient, you had to follow them, you had to submit to this, this, that, and the other thing. And a bunch of Corinthians are tempted to partner with them to minimize the differences, to say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal, you know, let's not be divisive. And as a matter of fact, they're pretty, they're better speakers than Paul. Let's be honest, they're better rhetoricians. Uh, let's go and join them. And this is what Paul is emphasizing here. So is it fair to apply this to, you know, the marital relationship, that sort of thing? It's, I think it's fair to apply it because I think it's a principle taught in the broader uh, parts of Scripture. But primarily what this is talking about is making sure that we don't sign up with something that's going to undermine or dilute the pure gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord, who was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, risen on the third day for our justification, and is reigning now, interceding on our behalf. All right, gang, that's it for this week. I uh, look forward to seeing you next Tuesday as we tackle 2 Corinthians chapter 7. God bless.